Let's pray. God, you are the same God as you were in the moments of creation, in the moments of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, even in the moments as Jesus hung on the cross, you are the same, God. We thank you for your consistency when life is unpredictable. I ask this morning that you would speak to each of us, that you would be opening our ears and our hearts to hear your word, to know um, that you are with us, that you are the same God hearing our prayers. And working in the same power that you worked um, through all of history and even in the resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. King David's story begins three generations before his birth. Ruth and Boaz, his great-grandparents, were a Moabite widow and an Israeli farmer who eventually became her kinsman redeemer. They gave birth to a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. We later meet David as a young man, but we know from the stories that he shares, his story started at a much younger age. He was a shepherd boy, the youngest of eight, and his job was to protect the sheep, fighting off lions and bears. He was chosen above all of his brothers for what lied in his heart because the Lord saw it and wanted him to be the king over Israel. He was a surprising conqueror of the massive Philistine Goliath, and he played the harp so beautifully that he soothed Saul's soul in his darkest moments. He continued to grow up to be a mighty warrior, and the people of Israel lauded his victories. Haven't you heard? Saul has slain his thousands, and David's his tens of thousands they would sing in the streets. Soon Saul caught on that he was no longer the one who held the people's or the Lord's favor, and he sought to kill David. David honored Saul as king and God as the Lord by choosing to not retaliate. And through the help of his good friend Jonathan, his life was spared. Yet he spent years on the run from Saul, and it wasn't until Saul's own life was taken in battle that David could finally sit on the throne as king. While on the throne, David becomes a pillar of the Israelite world. The Lord promises that through David's descendants, he would finally bring the Messiah to save them once for all, the plan of salvation he had promised since the beginning. And even after disastrous sin, David is known to be a man after God's own heart. 
He protects the promised land with intelligent war tactics. He raises rebellious sons and still remains compassionate towards them. He writes prayers and songs to the Lord in the face of every human experience and emotion, composing nearly half the book of Psalms and many other songs in his lifetime. For generations and generations to come, the people of Israel would look up to David for guidance as they awaited the Messiah. This past week, it was a special week for me. It marks three years since I first walked into this room and began attending church here. In that time, I've gotten to know some of you pretty well. You've invited me into your homes and become my friends. Others of you, I think I'm still meeting. <laughs> Many of you, I've found somewhere in between. I must confess that I'm not always very forward about introducing myself, about sharing my story. So I'm going to take a moment now to do that. If you'll hear a bit of it, I promise you that it will be also relevant to the sermon. Despite having been raised in a family that regularly attended church services, sending me to midweek activities, signing me up for youth group events, and even encouraging me to go on a handful of short-term ministry trips, I didn't truly meet Jesus until I was 21 years old. I grew up rather confused about God. At church, in public places, he was said to be so patient and kind merciful and forgiving, sacrificially loving and alive with justice. Of course, I knew about sin and God's anger, that there was an understanding that God's holiness required a separation, and that it was only through Jesus that humanity had any hope of being reunited with God. But that's all Jesus was to me, was a middleman. Still, the public God that I knew sounded pretty lovely. But at home, in the privacy of not being in front of people, in the privacy of my heart and even the quietness of my own bedroom at night, I couldn't believe that God would be patient and kind towards my teenage heartbreak, that he would be merciful and forgiving towards the sins I just couldn't seem to get over. I couldn't believe that he was sacrificially loving and want, would want to give his time and attention and energy to work good things in my life. I was just a little girl. I couldn't believe that bringing justice to the things that hurt me was one of God's priorities. And so there was a discrepancy between the lovely God of the public and the private God in my heart who seemed so distant and indifferent. Somewhere in my late junior high to early high school years, my family life, which was already a mess of many sorts, <laughs> took a turn towards incredibly dysfunctional. I still don't know exactly what happened, but I know that it really exasperated the difference between this public God I heard about at church and the private God that I hid away from at home. In this time, my parents quit going to church. 
but my brother who was able to drive would take me and my sisters, and so we continued going to church, to youth group, on the trips, and soon church became a safe place for me. I was there every chance I had. I'm not sure much has changed. (laughs) It was more about the escape and being with the friends than the God that I encountered there. But it was clear that looking back, he was capturing my heart. One Sunday school answer, one memory verse, one song at a time, because I did, I did know those things. After I graduated from high school, three years later, I found myself overseas um, with a group of believers. We were doing ministry work for the summer, And I honestly wasn't even sure why I was there. I didn't feel qualified for the work. I felt like I was a fraud because I couldn't possibly believe that the God I was telling other people about felt those same ways about me. But far from home where things were confusing and surrounded by a new makeshift family of people who were seeking the Lord, the public God of church and this trip and the private God in my heart came head to head. There was no choice but for one of them to win out. God was either going to be lovely or he was going to be distant and indifferent. And it was in those moments that I discovered through it all that Jesus was more than just a middleman. In the years since then, I found myself at Bible college learning how to come and help people learn about the Jesus I met that day spending much more time in my Bible in ways that helped me understand who God is. And the passage that I keep coming back to, that it confounded me and I didn't understand, but at the same time confused me, is the passage that will be, I will be preaching out of this morning. This summer I took a class on the Psalms, and so finally I was able to sit down and give it a lot of attention because... The deadline was on. This is, this is the passage that, can, that has sat with me for a long time. It's Psalm 27, 4. It says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This verse, I, I love it. I, something that I cling to often is the beauty of things. I strive to make things beautiful. I want to notice the beauty in ordinary things, and so I've been drawn to this verse for a long time. But it has always haunted me because I don't understand how you can see the beauty of something you can't see. We know from Scripture that the Lord is spirit, and therefore invisible. But it also confounded me because I didn't understand how it fit into the rest of this psalm. So let's read that together and maybe you will see where I'm a bit confused. Psalm 27, starting in verse 1. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock, and my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Something I learned this summer as I was studying the Psalms as a whole and preparing for this um, was that the Psalms are either asking God a question or answering a question that maybe a human person wants to ask God. Now, this psalm is a psalm of David. It was likely written by David. And so I think here, um, David is responding to the people's questions. And I think it's those questions that make this, this psalm make sense if you break it up and you put them in the right places. So the first question I think that the people were probably asking David whether this be while he was in reign or in the generations to come as they looked to him as the, the um, <laughs> as they looked to David for guidance under the reign of bad kings in the exile and the return from exile, they would have turned to David's words. And I think the first question they ask is, David, who can we trust? David, who can we trust? David says, the Lord. You can trust the Lord. And then he goes on to say, this is why you can trust the Lord. Because if I am your king, and God is my light and my salvation, and the stronghold of my life, then who can we be afraid of? He goes on to say that all of these people are attacking him, evil men, enemies, foes, an army, an entire war breaking out against him, and he's still confident. 
because he knows the Lord is his light and his salvation, the stronghold of his life. And if God is those things for David, then surely God is those things for his people. This is where verse 4 comes in. And David takes a turn, so I have to wonder, maybe the people asked another question here, and they, they asked David, well, how, how do we trust the Lord? And David gives two answers. The first answer is that he has asked one thing of the Lord, to dwell in his house, to gaze upon his beauty, and to seek him in his temple. The second answer he gives comes down later in verse 7 and following, where he actually repeats the prayers he's often prayed to the Lord. Hear my voice. Be merciful to me. Answer me. Don't hide your face from me. Something that I really love about this psalm is that, unlike several other psalms in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament, this psalm doesn't seem to have a direct connection to anything specific in David's life. It seems to be coming from a life lived of trusting in the Lord. One set of commentators put it this way, and it has stuck with me. These are not the words of a novice. They come from one who has tried and experienced the life that is possible only through the presence and help of God. David wholeheartedly believes after a life of seeking the Lord and dwelling in his temple that the Lord will protect him, that the Lord will help him and be his savior. David knows full well that in the face of all of these things, two things, that the, stir it will, the Spirit will stir in his heart. Verse 8 says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Something inside of him reminds him time and time again that the Lord has been faithful and all he needs to do is seek the Lord. The second thing in verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He knows that in the greatest fear, father and mother who should love him above all else, the Lord who hears his cry to dwell in his temple, to gaze upon his beauty, will hear him and say, yes, please come into my presence. Please. David knows that once he gets there, that trusting in the Lord will result in knowing the Lord's ways, being protected, and out of this will come an outpouring of praise, joy, and sacrifice to the Lord. started this sermon recounting many of the events in David's life because it's important that we know what David went through. (laughs) 
David wanted to spend his days in the, in the house of the Lord, gazing upon his beauty, because the beauty of the Lord isn't some aesthetically pleasing view. It's actually probably pretty dark in there with the heavy curtains and only candles to light the way. Instead, the beauty of the Lord is the goodness of the Lord. This, ver- this word for beauty is used seven times in the Old Testament. That's it. But every time it talks about the goodness, the graciousness of people and the Lord. David knew that when he went into the Lord's temple seeking shelter and rest, that instead of getting nervous about what was to come, he could look back on what had already happened. The goodness of the Lord teaching him how to be a shepherd of sheep so that he could be a shepherd of his people. The goodness of the Lord protecting him from Saul so that the Israelite people could have a worthy king on the throne. David's come to the end of his life and he is confident that he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not because his hope is in some future he can't see, but because his hope is in a God he's seen working all along. He ends the psalm with a call to the people to wait for the Lord, to be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He knows even better things are coming. David prom- God promised David that the Messiah would come through him, that the people of the world and Israel would be saved from all their sin because God promised it. In my own life, that moment, July 17th, 2017, when I finally discovered that Jesus, who wasn't just a middleman, is a moment of beauty of the Lord in my life. When things get hard, when I don't want to get up here and say words to you all, when I feel lonely, when I'm not sure what's going to come next because life seems to be falling apart, I turn around and I look at that moment. And I turn around and I look at the moments that David went through and remember the goodness of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord. As we come this morning, we're already dwelling here in the temple of the Lord, among his people, with him present here with us. Going to come to this table with bread and juice, and here we will see the most beautiful part of the invisible God. Because God didn't stay invisible. And the man, Jesus Christ, he came into the world so that we could see him in action, hear his voice, know him, 
He didn't stay invisible. He walked our world, knowing our own suffering, our own fears of the future, and gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, and being the beauty of the Lord, he went to the cross. He faced what no one wants to face, the fear of being forsaken by God, because he trusted that even if he was forsaken to death, that we would be given life that the goodness of the Lord would continue in the land of the living. But more beautiful still, God was faithful even to Jesus and raised him from the grave. The beauty of the invisible God is that God became man and knows without a doubt what we've gone through, what it that out of doubt what we will go through in death and promises that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living even in our death. Let's pray. God, you are beautiful. Your hand at work through all of time has shown us your goodness your faithfulness to fulfill promises. Your, um, your willingness to sacrifice so much for us that you would become like us to know our hurt and our pain and our fear. God, we thank you for Jesus who made tangible and visible your beauty and your goodness in his life, death, and resurrection. As we come to the table, stir in us that voice that says, Seek the Lord's face. As we go from the table, help us to walk in the confidence of having seen you. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.